Hello everyone, hope you are doing well. It is an excellent day and welcome to the Heldzilla uh, meditation series. Now this podcast will be a two-part series, so we will, because of the fact that me and Aki, we had such an in-depth discussion, we will be then um, splitting this episode into two so that it becomes a bit more bite-sized and easier to manage as well. I uh, hope you enjoy this episode with Heldzilla Weekly uh, together with Aki Ranin about meditation. Enjoy. Three, two, one. Welcome. This is Hell Till a Weekly uh, podcast returning to you from Singapore after a few weeks of summer break. Um, hope you're all doing fine and staying safe and staying sane at the same time. Uh, we're still um, suffering uh, from the COVID-19 <clears throat> uh, disease across the world, even though a lot of countries are opening up the, um, the quarantine measures and lockdowns and so forth. We're seeing second waves hitting uh, here and there. So hope you are staying safe wherever you are and wearing that mask and washing your hands and doing the safe distancing dance um, wherever you are. It is a lovely day indeed. Um, and obviously, one of the key aspects of um, staying sane over these um, challenging periods um, is to you know, take care of your mental health. One of the key aspects of taking care of your mental health actually is uh, meditation, which is something that Heldzilla um, app as well uh, endorses you to do. Um, and me- meditation is such an interesting topic overall. I learned it myself a few years ago um, without any sort of prejudice towards it. I've just noticed so many different uh, benefits to my own life as well. So we thought that this is an excellent topic to um, to discuss over this podcast. So. I am joined in this podcast by Aki, uh, our CTO co-founder. Welcome, Aki. Good morning. Hello again. Good to be here. How's your day so far? Yeah, it's good. Um, so it's now sort of 8 a.m. here in Singapore. Woke up around 7. I try to usually wake up roughly around the same time every day. Um, just yet another little little tangent i suppose but um based on uh, matthew walker's oh, yeah. uh, you know sleep research that was one of the interesting points that you know he suggested that a big part of sleep quality is actually waking within the same hour so yeah. weekdays i usually wake up uh, before seven but i try to wake up around seven after seven latest probably seven thirty on weekends um and do you, do you set yourself an alarm clock or without Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But <clears throat> I, I have noticed that, um, like for me, uh, a kind of noise-based alarm is quite disruptive. Um, you know, at some point I tried those uh, sleep apps, which supposedly pick up your your you know sleep phases and they yeah. they wake up in in the sort of right phase. I subjectively never really found any major kind of like profound difference there. So what I do nowadays is I've got my um, Garmin Vivo Smart, which is like a, a wristband wearable. And it's got like a haptic alarm, which is quite subtle, you know? So I, I find that, that that does the job and you don't wake up with your sort of heart racing. Um, well, that's awesome. uh, so that, that's, that's my go-to um, currently, but yeah. After that, made a cup of coffee. No, sorry. First, I actually, I just had a glass of water, did my meditation for 10 minutes, um, just an unguided 
session today, but I thought would get us in the right mood. Then uh, then made a cup of black coffee, went back to sit here in my little meditation spot, just uh, on the floor, wood floor in front of the window, looking out over the urban jungles of Singapore, yeah. blue sky. That's it. It sounds awesome. So it sounds like such a perfect morning, I guess, uh, from a routine perspective as well. We, we, we did um, have this great recording about morning routines. Um, I was thinking it was episode one or something. So two. Do you make, yeah. Oh, two, yes. So do make sure you go back and um, listen to that uh, where you can hear all about Aki and a lot of um, morning routines as well. So Aki, how did you um, begin your journey into meditation? Because I know that, that you are uh, very interested and um, very, very much an enthusiast in terms of health and, and well-being and optimizing the health and well-being aspect. How did you start your journey into meditation? Yeah, I think it was maybe three, four years ago. Um, I definitely had some brief interactions with meditators or meditation content previously, but it did, never struck me as very scientific, you know, I guess as an engineer by heart and training and philosophy, um, I, you know, within the health and fitness space, I definitely tend to shy away and scoff at anything which is, you know, unscientific. And I, you know, for the longest time, I suppose I <clears throat> incorrectly labeled meditation as a kind of a spiritual practice. I've never been a religious person, so it didn't really uh, strike me as something worth pursuing, but it's probably around that time, three, four years ago, when um, at least out here in, in Asia and the wider world, Headspace uh, kind of really broke through, went viral as the sort of, you know, first meditation app that um, everybody was talking about and trying. And I imagine it was around that time, three, four years ago, that I just like, I thought, well, okay. You know, if, if there's millions of people doing it, uh, maybe it was the FOMO that got me, uh, just had to see what's going on there. And so I did the 10 days, the free 10 days, you know, that, sure. that's, I think always been their kind of setup that you get 10 days for free. And then, uh, after that you have to pay. So I did the 10 days for free and then I stopped because I think I found it interesting, but um, it, I found it a little bit, what's the right word? That it, it wasn't for me. It wasn't designed for me. I felt like it was maybe designed for a person who is struggling and just finds kind of life difficult and, you know, you're somehow very kind of tightly wound, locked up. Because I suppose the language was very soft. It was like, oh, you know, everything's going to be fine. It was very kind of self-care vibe, um, which again, you know, coming from the rational uh, sort of straight shooting European, you know, um, even maybe Eastern European kind of mindset, that sort of very soft tone, which is maybe designed for kind of Americans, didn't really sit sit that well with me. Um, so yeah, that, that didn't stick. And after that, I think there was maybe a year or two even where I didn't do any meditation at all. So I, I probably from there, 
uh, was more engaged in breathing exercise. That that felt like something that was um, more scientific uh, kind of recovery modality. It was also kind of becoming popular. Guys like Ben Greenfield, uh, you know, talking a lot about breathing at that time. A lot of podcasts, a lot of blog content, videos. Uh, that's when probably Wim Hof kind of broke out on the scene. And I got probably mostly into Wim Hof breathing um, at that time. Um, and it just happened to coincide that it was kind of a more stressful period in my life with the transition from kind of corporate safety to uh, startup chaos. And um, I, I found kind of Wim Hof breathing to be like a very important tool at that time to manage the, 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 you know, very unpredictable day-to-day -day stress levels going from, oh, this is amazing, everything's going to be great, to, oh, my God, this was a giant mistake, it's, it's all going to burn down, this is a, you know, yeah. massive failure, I'm going to lose all my money, it's going to be terrible. And, and that roller coaster ride, I felt that um, at that point, I was probably doing a daily Wim Hof practice for, I'd say, maybe a year, roughly. And... That, that really uh, got me much more engaged in this, this general idea of what's going on in my head. How do I have some level of control over the emotional responses? Um, and, you know, I, I probably started doing a bit of breathing exercise um, outside. Uh, just kind of, a, you know, like a Wim Hof practice for me, I would typically do in the morning when I woke up. So that that is something that later on in the story, I would kind of come back, come back to in, in meditation. But at the time I was doing my Wim Hof, but then during the day, I would also try a bit of, you know, two minute breathing exercise here and there. So that's, again, it's, it's everything started to coincide. So I was using the Apple Watch back then, that was my main wearable device. And they had the the two minute breathing app yeah. on um, the updated Apple Watch, and and that was something I was doing. So at some point I was doing that once every hour. I would just take like a two minute breathe breather, um, and you you might say that I just found this set of tools in breathing quite useful, but also after doing that for roughly a year, I found like it wasn't going anywhere. What I mean by that is like, it, it could, it could keep me from rock bottom, like emotionally or stress wise, but it, I didn't feel like it was building any long-term resilience or capability. So that's probably when I, it, it kind of clicked for me a little bit that, Hey, Maybe, maybe, you know, going back to meditation in a more focused, uh, rational, scientific approach yeah, yeah. is going to be worth it. And um, at that time, I was also listening to Sam Harris quite a lot. So definitely one of my favorite podcasts, um, even today. Um, this was before he had his waking up app. And I think at, at the time, he was probably, you know, he, he, he does politics. He does meditation, spirituality, religion, uh, racism, uh, you know, you name it, AI. He does, he covers like a pretty broad 
but limited set of topics. And sure. I think at that time he was, he was doing more meditation content. It seemed to be regular in his agenda because mm. I, I think at the time he was working on the waking up app. Sure. And I remember he would mention it in the podcast occasionally, like, Hey, we're doing the beta, you know, it's coming out soon. Of course it never was. It took, I think it was, you know, being an app developer, I, 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 I both laughed and, you know, felt sorry for his experience. Cause he, he would sort of every month he would sort of say it's coming out next month, but it never did. It was always like next month. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I forget, but I want to say that went on for, you know, at least six months or even longer. And, then he sort of stopped talking about it probably because he, he lost all hope in, you know, the, the app development timelines. That's, that's tech for you. But eventually it did, did come out. And so when that came out, I was sort of primed like, okay, I was expecting it to come out. I knew it would be solid because Sam Harris um, represented to me like a, a sort of a very secular non woo woo uh scientific mindset in all things sure, sure. so in my, in my mind if it's like sam harris thinks something is worth doing or thinking about or looking into i, I would sort of implicitly place place my trust with sam harris um i guess my, my just general broad thinking worldview aligned very well with sam harris so mm-hmm. since he he was so I suppose, um, sold on meditation in a certain flavor, um, <clears throat> I, w- I was willing to bite. So when he, when he launched his app, actually, um, uh, the, the main offering was like a 50-day course. It was a paid course. I think you had maybe one or two kind of free lessons or something like yeah, that, right. but I, I, I was willing to t- take the leap um, there and I did, and and uh, that's probably then what's gotten me on this kind of trajectory of building capabilities uh, around meditation and and understanding the role or benefits of a regular practice and developing technique. Because I suppose from the outside, it seems like meditation is about just sitting quietly and trying to kind of find some sort of Zen mode and whatever. And I think for a lot of people who are busy in their lives, which is pretty much everyone. Yeah. It seems like a pointless thing. It's like, you know, really like his 10 minutes of sitting alone with some bird song, you know, really going to wasting time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's kind of, then I'm just going to have more stress in my day because I wasted 10 minutes, you know, just sitting on the floor mm. and, I think what what people are missing and and maybe even some of the popular meditation programs I think kind of miss out on is that they they kind of don't expose you to the the structure of meditation in in some sense that that you know they they start off very gently for the most part and I think this was kind of an issue with headspace at the time is um, it, it wasn't maybe hard hitting enough, but and by hard hitting, I, d- I don't mean, you know, necessarily kind of putting pressure or, you know, making it into some sort of university lecture format, but. Yeah, uh, I, un- I understand what you're saying. Okay. I, I do. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I started my own meditation journey two years ago uh, with Headspace as well. 
I was doing that every morning when I woke up and as the, as it was so soothing and sort of unstructured, how you sort of dabbled into it, I fell asleep every single time. Obviously, oh, it, was, really? it, it wasn't the best timing to do it straight out of bed, but um, I kept, I just kept falling asleep. I thought this is, this is a waste of space because um, yeah, it was, it was a bit soft and all that. Um, so I, I did find the same issue, at least in the be beginning um, uh, with Headspace. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I did the 50 days and uh, at, at the time we were also doing meditation at the office. So <clears throat> I think that was partially a bit of a social commitment for mm -hmm. me also that I, certainly I was doing it for me, but maybe the fact that I was trying to also do it for other people further, you know, enforced the commitment that I'm, I am doing daily meditation. Even if I felt like some days, you know, skipping, then at least I would do it because it was a thing. I had it in my calendar that, you know, 10 AM every morning in the office, we would do the meditation. And, you know, conveniently, of course, you know, Sam Harris with the 50 day program, it, <laughs> they had enough content so I could sort of stretch that out. Of course, there were exceptions. So we didn't necessarily do five days a week, but say call it, we did probably on average four days a week. Yeah. And, and so we got through that uh, 50 days, uh, you know, a couple months there. And I wouldn't say that every session or every technique that Sam Harris introduced was sort of, you know, amazing and immediately kind of hit the, hit the spot. I think that the challenge with meditation at the end of the day is that it, it, it's a subjective form of, you know, mental exercise, I, I guess you could call it. And it's very difficult to um, tell you as, as the instructor to like, oh, now this is the experience you're supposed to have. Like, that's not a thing you can really control. So the only thing like any meditation instructor can really do is to instruct you to do certain exercises, which should put you in a certain type of experience, but it doesn't work every time. You have good days and bad days. You have bad days where you're very distracted and the whole, you know, whatever, 10 minutes, 20 minutes just goes by and you're totally, you know, hopelessly lost in whatever thoughts, concerns, worries, uh, emotions uh, you may have. So that's, that's where I think ultimately the, the consistency comes in that, you know, like a 10-day course like you've got on Headspace, I think is, is not enough. And I, I know yeah, they've I obviously A-B tested that, so it does work. I have no, no doubts. Mm -hmm. But when it, when it does work, I'm sure it works as in people then pay and subscribe to the thing. So it works in, that, in the sense of commercially it's a viable proposition and that's the sweet spot in terms of you know whatever conversions and such but i think ultimately for for people to get it i think the 10 days is not enough meaning i don't mean that they get the app i think it is enough for people to get the app and then pay the, yeah. the dollars but i think for them to get meditation you know i, I think it's probably somewhere around 30 days and it, that doesn't necessarily have to be 30 days of every day but i think it's like a one a month period where 
if you're doing it most days, you will probably get it. Mm. But that I, I think the difference is though, that if you're just doing unguided meditation, just sat by yourself for you know 30 days, I don't think much is gonna happen. So I think there's there's certainly a set of basic techniques and concepts that you must get from guided meditation uh, for you to have that moment where you're like, okay, this is clicked for me. I now understand what role meditation can play in my, you know, emotional life. I, I don't want to use the word spiritual necessarily, but certainly in your emotional life that is something that we are all have even engineers have emotional lives maybe just slightly yeah uh, narrower <laughs> emotional lives um so so that's i think the, the step everybody has to try to get to and sort of find content or or um some sort of routine where you can bootstrap yourself to the 30 days because it's not like you're going to go from day one to day 30 and it's going to go sort of linearly or exponentially get better every time. That's absolutely not true. And this is why I think most people stop meditating is because maybe after the third day, maybe the first day, maybe the 22nd day, they have a slump or they have a rough patch, right? Where it's like, it's not working. It's just frustrating. It feels worse than before. It feels like that this is no longer an uptrend. It's now a downtrend. It's negatively contributing to my emotional life. And I think you just have to somehow grit through that period uh, to where then you, you notice at, at some point, I guess, that even the worst meditation experience that you may have is no longer kind of absolutely negative. It, it is an overall net positive. And, yeah. and so you, you get a sense that, okay, I, I, I get a sense here that there's kind of an uptrend that is persistent. So even I may have, you know, up and down days, but like this thing is going somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's where you have to have to get to where meditation then really becomes a, um, a habit, you know, in the parlance of, of uh you know healthzilla and healthy habits all that kind of thing i think meditation is one of the trickier habits for for that reason that it's it's subjective and it does require certainly a, an extended period of trying uh before you can really say that <clears throat> um you know i'm, I'm getting benefit out of this w without being um, what's the word? Um, yeah, well, to, to, to try to articulate, I think, what benefit, like, how, how do you know that you mm. are, are there, that you are getting benefit? I think <clears throat> Sam Harris has talked about avoiding this idea of peak experience. So we're kind of, used to in just general life of seeking peak experience like you want to have the best work day the most productive meeting you want to have the best date you want to have the best holiday you want to have the best dinner you know you want to have the best workout pr every time like we are i don't know psychologically sociologically kind of wired to seek out 
peak experience. And meditation is actually the one time where that is, that is counterproductive. So, so Sam Harris talks about like, you know, people paying thousands of dollars to go on these transcendental meditation courses. And, you know, you want to go to the most beautiful meditation retreat where you're sitting on, on some mountaintop and the, the haze and the mist is coming through the, the morning sunrise and the birds, yeah. are, birds are singing and you have like this nirvana experience. Like that is specifically not helpful because the, the peak experience is, is kind of an illusion anyway, right? So even if you have it for one day, then you get off the, the hilltop, you go back to the boring menial routines of your own life in a dirty city with pollution and, you know, ugliness everywhere and you know mean people on the streets and then like how are you then going to maintain this this sort of freedom that you discovered on the hilltop or does it mean that you basically have to become a monk to actually get anything out of meditation so i think that exactly. there's meditation offers a pretty profound uh avenue of exploring a, a a, a sense of being comfortable and accepting life kind of as it is and not, not trying to escape from it, not trying to change life, but, but finding acceptance, peace, quiet within whatever situation you're in, because that, that is actually like the, the ability, which is then useful because, you know, meditation is, is not something, it's not like a celebration of the good things in life, right? It's if, if this is going to be useful to you, it should be most useful to you when the chips are down, when it's yeah, the yeah. worst week of your life is when meditation should offer you that respite. So um, th that, that's, I, I think it's just conceptually a tricky proposition for the modern condition, the modern life. And that's, that's why I think, you know, again, you know, I, I, I have never done transcendental meditation, so I don't want to be too judgmental. I think, you know, Tim Ferriss, Ray Dalio, there's, there's a lot, you know, um, a lot of famous, important, successful people that attribute a lot of their, not just meditation, um, but kind of general life success and, and uh, well-being to transcendental meditation. So, you know, what do I know? It could be a good way to start but i think if you just find the right content um whether you know sam harris or there's there's a lot of apps including harris, of course yeah. headspace and, and and no no shortage of content but i think you have to shop around a little bit to find the the right kind of teacher that mm -hmm. will get you the basics and and help you through that you know first 30 days to establish how meditation is going to work for you. And, you know, one funny thing though, is like a, a couple of people that I've recommended Sam Harris to, they just say something like, I don't like his voice. <laughs> and, and, and for people that I've sort of tried to um, kind of sell meditation to as a, as a thing that they should try, I, I found that feedback a few times that it actually seems to matter quite a lot, whether you just like the way the person is talking it's the tone of, course, of voice, yeah. the, the, I don't know, the intensity of their voice or the, the implied character of their voice. I don't know. There's, there seems mm -hmm. to be something, something there that, 
you know, is it a female voice? Is it a male voice? What, what, what works for you? You just need to try out and find the one for you, right? Yeah, yeah, it seems so. But uh, the good thing is, of course, now there's like no shortage of even no, free, free content on YouTube, Spotify, other, other places. So one of the but, interesting, but, one of the very interesting um, sort of interesting aspects about meditation sort of is that when I talk about meditation to um, people close to me, uh, oftentimes I get the answer that, okay, well, it, it is a bit woo-woo as for what you mentioned, and there, it, it's just a waste of time and, and all that. Um, and it's been a, a bit difficult for me to try to explain the benefits. Um, I think you laid it out in your previous blog post really well. But could you sort of elaborate some of, because you come from a sort of skeptic, skeptical background into meditation and from a scientific engineering mindset, where you didn't see it in the beginning, the, the potential benefits of meditation. Um, so as you've done the sort of deep dive, the 100 days of meditation, what were the sort of concrete benefits and changes that you saw in yourself or your way of thinking through this journey? Mm. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I guess we, we could look at it two ways. Um, one, one is the scientific objective set of benefits, right? So <clears throat> much like exercise, you know, everybody knows exercise is beneficial for everything from, you know, your emotions to your stress to your performance at work, your mental performance, um, your sleep is better, you know, uh, longevity benefits like it's almost like you know exercise is really the the one magic pill right and i think most people still don't exercise <laughs> so, true, true, yeah. i think the same thing applies to um, meditation that despite everything you know all of the men's health uh, articles that are coming out saying how exercise is helpful i think you still need to find subjective reasons to do meditation just as you do exercise and you know i without going too deep on a tangent before we get to the benefits of meditation but i would say you know having done um structured exercise so not not sports but like structured exercise and running and uh, strength training and such for what is it now um 20 years yeah that at the end of the day while I would like to think that I'm doing it for the scientific benefits, and, and certainly I would say like the scientific benefits do impact the way, the, the type of exercise I do and the frequency and the, the methods. But it honestly, I do exercise because I enjoy it, right? That's, that's the real world kind of dumb reason that you have to have when you're, you know, waking up at 6.45 and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to the gym. Like if you don't like being in the gym, lifting the weights or, you know, running or, you know, whatever the exercise might be, uh, you can't fool yourself by just looking at the, the scientific studies and the, the, you know, longevity benefits mm -hmm. uh, every morning. You know, that's not going to help you motivate yourself to to go there um and you know even you know habits themselves um will will kind of falter i think at some some parts of your life because the routines change you move to different countries whatever your life situations change i think you have to have this sort of intrinsic uh 
kind of enjoyment that you get from the habits for them to sort of be watertight, right? So, so that therefore you, you will never really stop doing it because mm. it's not a, just a habit. It's not just the benefits. It's also the, the um, enjoyment. And, and so for me, like in an exercise context, that could be a combination of things that, you know, the gym, it's a nice gym. It's, it's nearby. In my case, it's literally downstairs. It's, um, you know, I listen to podcasts. So there's like, I, I layer on a bunch of things which I enjoy about the experience, right? I go early when it's quiet and there's not, you know, lots of other people. I don't need to wait to get access to equipment. And I similarly, I run in the morning before, before it's too hot in Singapore and the sun's coming out and people are out walking their dogs and going out for coffee. So like you, you need to layer on these things that you enjoy so that it's not only reinforcing the habit, but you're genuinely like, even if the exercise itself doesn't go that well, the overall experience was positive because mm-hmm. you listen to an interesting podcast, you know, the sunrise was beautiful. You know, the, the birds were chirping like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It could be a bunch of small things, but I think you have to similarly look at um, meditation that, you know, I can roll off a whole list of benefits here, but I think you also have to subjectively find enjoyment in the the process of meditating so that you know what does that involve that involves i suppose like choosing the time for me definitely morning is preferable so now in the lockdown situation um you know we tried it for a while we tried doing virtual meditation but i that that doesn't it's too technological i I think you lose quite a bit of the uh, effect so it at home now when I do my own meditation, I tend to do it immediately after waking up, which seems to be like the most recommended method of doing it. So I go to this place here in front of the window and this nice wood floor. And I enjoy, you know, just for example, the moment of sitting down, looking outside in Singapore, the sun always shines. So around 7 a.m. the sun's coming up, the clouds are out, sky is blue, and I, you know, I wish this was some beautiful natural kind of waterfalls and, you know, mountaintops outside, but it's just, you know, series of condominiums of varying heights and styles with a few trees interspersed. But I enjoy looking out, just taking a look, you know, there's a few people out on their balconies with cups of coffee. So even if I like didn't meditate, that already was enjoyable to me. I enjoy, you know, taking my cross-legged position on the wood floor even though it's it's hard, I enjoy the hardness of it, right? Because meditation in some sense is like, it's not finding the comfortable pillow. It, it's about finding the hard floor. Like that. that's kind of an, an analogy mentally, but I, that's why I enjoy sitting on the hard wood floor. It's a natural surface. It's, it's, you know, it's of course man-made, but it's somewhat natural. So I, I enjoy engaging with a natural mm. moment in my artificial technological uh, life. So then no matter how the meditation goes, you know, like today it was sort of so-so yesterday, it was actually pretty mediocre. I was pretty much distracted for the whole 10 minutes, but still it's, it's kind of a net positive. Like that was a nice thing that I did and I feel good about having done it. And I, because I wake up earlier, I certainly haven't, 
you know, wasted time in my day and I can approach the day now with a sort of sense of balance, even if the, the meditation itself was, you know, sometimes not that great. So that's, that's, I think, you know, <laughs> that's just now we have covered, I suppose, the, the surrounding context of your meditation yeah, without even yeah. having discussed the meditation itself. So then if we kind of categorize the, the benefits again, we could quickly just run off, I guess, the, the objective scientific benefits before we get into the subjective benefits. So the, mm. the high level scientific things you would look for or can look for are things like mental performance, so again, as a sort of busy, you know, busy bee in the, the, the corporate world that we live in, even if you think this is all, you know, nonsense and whatever, you, you could just use it purely as a performance uh, tool. So there's certainly research to say that, you know, some, some practice of say um, as little as eight weeks, they can measure uh, increased responsiveness and uh, control of attention. So, you know, is that something, are those capabilities that are going to be useful in your board meeting, in your pitch, in your, you know, whatever mm. business context? Absolutely. So, so I'm sure that's why partially, you know, in places like Silicon Valley in New York, um, you know, those initial early adopters of Headspace used it. They, they were looking for, you know, an edge, you know, that's why they're now, do, they're now doing microdoses of LSD and <laughs> yeah, exactly. whatever, whatever goes beyond. But certainly there was kind of a performance uh, component that these uh, kind of people outside of the Asian spiritual context were, were willing to try it. Um, and hand in hand, I think, goes uh, stress relief. Uh, so there's a lot of study about uh, stress relief as it relates to you know, not just the subjective sense of stress, but the actual physiological correlates of stress, which would include things like cortisol, insulin, oxidative stress uh, at the cellular level. So, you know, fundamentally, I suppose the, the functional um, role of meditation there is uh, control or separation of the external stimuli and the internal reaction. So this is kind of classic meditation 101, I guess. So if you look at sort of meditation theory, that's ultimately what you're doing. It's kind of a very stoic concept that, you know, the, the storm on the outside and peace and quiet calm seas on the inside. Uh, so you're in some, somewhat trying to build an indifference to both negative and positive. I think that's often forgotten, but in some sense you're also you know, in a kind of stoic fashion, somewhat decoupling your internal experience from the roller coaster, both because, you know, like, I suppose we're all a little bit bipolar in the sense that, you know, at one moment life is amazing and great and the next is terrible and it keeps going up and down. So in some sense, I think what we're talking about here in stress relief is kind of like evening the curve, right? less less downs but also a little bit less ups and you're just mm, mm. more of in a neutral neutral kind of um emotional space uh most of the time and that's that's i think the type of stress relief you can get but that's of course stress directly you know just through that is uh 
directly tied to longevity. And so like, I think there's more and more studies coming out all the time about showing, and maybe not just showing, but also quantifying the specific ways in which stress is really, you know, killing people. So, you know, in the eighties, probably when I was growing up, it was like, you know, saturated fats and smoking that, that those were the killers. And after that, I think it was sitting, sitting was pretty big. And now I think stress is like the next, next big killer. Um, in sort of all of the, the studies and kind of guidelines uh, that are coming out that we should avoid stress. So, you know, the, the physiological methods, again, that would be things like cortisol levels and it would be impacting literally on a cellular, but also like a DNA level um, impacting your telomere length. So mm. I don't want to get into the de depths of that, but people can Google it if they're interested. You know, telomeres are, I suppose, what control the, the lifetime of your DNA replication. So if, if you run out of telomere length, uh, it means effectively at some point your DNA will replicate and your cells will split and you will be able to, you know, basically uh, generate new cells and repair tissues. And well, that's kind of downhill from there pretty much. Um, so th that's, that's, I think a big one for me is, is the longevity benefits of controlling stress. So again, I'm, I'm doing also obviously other things for stress, including diet and exercise. But I think again, like, why would you not, if this is another big thing you can do and layer on top of that. Um, and, and since at the end of the day, if, if you think about stress, yes, there's a physiological component to stress, but largely stress is in the mind. So yes, you can do exercise, you can do diet to try to indirectly control you know, the, the likelihood of a uh, positive stress state. Like, yeah, you can do, you know, control relationships, all, all sorts of things, right? But at the end of the day, it's in your brain, right? So why would you not go to the source? So meditation, I think is, at the end of the day, I think it's probably the most powerful method you have available to yourself to control stress because it's yeah. directly going into your thoughts, your head, to, to kind of mess in some sense with, with what's going on there rather than trying to indirectly externally impact uh, what's going on there. So that, that's, that's a big one. Uh, and then the final sort of clinical um, benefit is just brain health. So it's been shown that really there's, there's kind of a dose dependent accumulating effect to meditation in your brain waves and also the physiological structure of your brain. So literally, um, you know, the connections between different brain areas are either reinforced or um, decreased. So an example of that would be the amygdala, which is the sort of emotional center of the brain. So it's been shown in studies that in fact, there are changes to how the amygdala is connected to the rest of your brain through meditation. So mm -hmm. in practice, that means, you know, I, I suppose if you're kind of out of control emotionally, just, you know, the roller coaster, social media, news, you're just living from sort of dopamine hit to dopamine hit and desperately trying to find your next hit, uh, searching for it from relationships, from work, seeking the peak experience, um, then you're, you're, reinforcing your brain 
to be driven by the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain, which is part of the reptilian uh, brain. So you're, you're basically degrading yourself to be like a lizard, which is just entirely responsive, right? Yeah, so yeah. any stimulus coming out from the world, boom, what, what should I do? Oh, I should be sad. Oh my God, I'm, this is terrible. Boom. It's an amazing experience. I'm having such a great time now. Oh, great. Dopamine hit, dopamine hit. Amazing, amazing. Five minutes later, ah, oh, this is terrible. I've lost everything. You know, I should jump out the window. And, and so meditation can help you get out of this, this vicious cycle of being emotionally driven. So it can physic, physically change the, the makeup of your brain. I think that's when I, you know, this was not something I knew. Um, I don't think it's that widely known. I don't think it's that widely reported. I think these are studies that have come out in the last couple of years, but sure. like that's, that's crazy to me. Like something you can do by just sitting quietly can actually change your brain. I, I, I didn't know that there were actually things that you could do to change the wiring of your brain. I think I, I thought that basically the, I suppose the way you were born pretty much dictates, are you an emotionally driven person, et cetera, et cetera. But like that, to me, that's, that's pretty fundamental. Like, Hey, there's a free thing that you can do 10 minutes a day, which will in you know a couple of months, literally rewire your brain. That is such a, such an exciting thing. Really. It, it is like a mind gym, basically. Um, grow your muscles. Yeah. Improve your brain so physical aspect too um i'll now get into a little bit more of the subjective benefits because again like oh cool you can rewire your, your brain somebody's now going to go download some meditation app does that mean that they're going to be lifelong meditators statistically likely not hmm. right because uh, you can't tell yourself every morning when you get out of bed oh like i'm going to rewire my brain again it's, well okay i, I don't want to speak for everybody there could be people who literally do that but you know on average i, I suspect people will need far more uh intrinsic uh selfish um short-term carrots motivators to to uh to do this so i guess what what i can do is um <clears throat> try to chronologically uncover or unpack some of the benefits that i've seen and of course this is anecdotal but certainly if you 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 know just read about people's uh experiences about meditation i think these are all quite typical but it just i suppose means like the, the timing of these or the the order of these might be quite different because yeah. again it's a subjective maybe my brain wiring when i started meditation was a certain way and other people it might be uh totally different but i i would say that the, the first thing to aim for and maybe to notice is just uh, being comfortable with your thoughts. And again, I think this goes to my points about sort of the modern condition that mm. even I, you know, I've been meditating now for, well, hundreds of days um, at this point, but even I find myself, you know, regularly addicted to the smartphone, you know, checking notifications, checking my, you know, stock portfolio, checking my LinkedIn notifications, checking my, you know, Instagram, whatever, right? So I, it's not like I've been cured of the modern condition. Um, but at least 
there's also times when I'm, you know, in the waiting, like yesterday, I was just at the doctor's office. I was just waiting in the doctor's office for 30 minutes. Um, like, I, I now enjoy finding those moments where like, okay, I have nothing to do here. Like, yeah, I, I could be obviously scrolling Instagram and, you know, looking at stocks or, you know, whatever to preoccupy my mind and avoid having to face my, actually, my, my thoughts and emotions. But, but now I, I'm sort of some, sometimes, not every time, but I'm, I'm sort of curious to say like, okay, what if I just sit here and just like do nothing? <laughs> can, yeah. I, can I be comfortable uh, being alone with my thoughts? And of course, this is mainly what you do during meditation, right? So that's the, the 10 minutes that you dedicate to this kind of practice. But I, I've noticed that it starts to bleed in to life outside of meditation where you're sometimes even seeking this kind of solitude because for most people the you know solitude is the last thing you want and you know the the great comment sam harris has made about this that if you think of punishments um that society uh makes for for the worst people then outside of capital punishment which is literally taking your life away the second worst thing is solitary confinement Right. So if you're, you're in prison, the worst people have to sit alone with their thoughts. Mm. That is the worst punishment imaginable by society. That tells you quite a lot, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, yeah, it does. that th this is some sort of personal hell that you have to face your own fears, your own thoughts, mm. that this is something to be avoided and only, you know, wished upon the, the worst uh, dregs of society. And, this, this is meditation is actively suggesting that this is something to seek out. And I think it's, it's definitely something that we have lost in society because, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have smartphones. Um, we had plastic toys and Nintendos and things like that, but you couldn't take it outside with you. Like nowadays children, you know, even when they're outside, they have their smartphones and they're playing on 4G, yeah. you know, mine, Minecraft or whatever. Uh, you know, games, but back then you, you, you were, you know, you were playing sports and biking and whatever, uh, mostly with friends, of course, you know, you wouldn't want to be alone. That was, that was lame, but certainly there were more times in which you had moments, five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes alone, whether you're waiting for a friend or, or, you know, you, you had moments alone. Um, and certainly if you go back, you know, further and further in history, this, this was not only, you know, a reality for a lot of people, whether they were working alone or they were living alone or, or walking to get water or walking to work alone. There was a lot of solitude that was just enforced upon you by just life, right? It wasn't weird. It was normal. And I think a lot of people probably enjoyed those moments of solitude where you can gather your thoughts and just get a sense for how you're feeling. And I think that's, that's now what meditation gives you is it teaches you that skill again, where like you're okay being alone for a little bit. You're okay checking in with your body, your, your physical sensations. You're, you're okay to check with your emotions. You're okay to check with the thoughts that are racing through your head. And, and then layer by layer, I think as you do more meditation, you start to find, I think, like physical representations of those things. So you become a little bit more sensitized to 
those three categories. And, and still today, when I start my meditation, that's, that's the three kind of check-ins, the three-step check-in that I do. I, I check in first physically, like how am I feeling? Are there any aches and pains uh, from, I don't know, workouts, from just, um, you know, waking up, whatever, you know, like, oh, my, my neck feels a little bit stiff today. So you sort of go through that check-in. So like, okay, my, my neck's a little bit stiff today, but that's okay. Like, I'm not going to, that's not going to prevent my day. That's not going to prevent my meditation. I just want to be aware of it because, <laughs> because we're so busy, we're, you know, we, you wake up, you grab the cup of coffee, you're out the door. You literally like, you, you suddenly have these sensations of like, oh my God, like my back is killing me. Like it's been, you know, creeping up on you for days, but you just literally like didn't take a moment to notice that. So this, this just a physiological check-in um, has certainly begun, become a big routine, sort of part of my yeah. getting into meditation routine. So that's like the first five, 10 seconds of meditation for me is like I'm checking in just on the physical sensations. Then I would check on, uh, I would say like my emotions like what does that mean like how does one check on emotions i think this is a skill you have to pick up during meditation again it's this kind of gradual sense of well sensitizing yourself to seeing how emotions feel like so you can't do this the first time you're meditating as well it's very unlikely and i've just noticed you know doing this with people in the office this is something that doesn't come very quickly um, so most people like who meditate in the office, they don't do it that regularly, like every day. So most of them probably haven't accumulated this, this ability, or maybe they're just always happy. I don't know. That could also be true. Um, so they, they never have negative emotions about for, for those of us who do have negative emotions. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily consider myself like a, you know, depressive uh, person or, or person with very dark thoughts and, and tendencies, but I would say that I have a tendency all through my life towards anxiety. So just generally having a sense of there are things that I'm not doing. There's things that I should be doing. There's stuff that should have been accomplished. So I just have the sense like I'm always a little bit behind on something that I can't always put my finger on. And so this is the second thing I check in. So f for me, subjectively, where I can sense this, this anxiety is in my sort of chest area or my, my throat. So it's, it's somewhere in that range. And how, how do I know if I'm anxious? It, it, it is usually accompanied by an actual physical tightness in my chest and my throat. So if I wake up and I'm particularly anxious, maybe I didn't sleep that well, I was worried about something or there's something on my mind when I went to bed or maybe there's something often when there's like a big event or thing that I need to do today, I need to prepare for, um, then I, I will be more anxious and I'll notice this in my chest physically. And so is everybody going to notice all forms of negative and positive emotions in their chest? no guarantee you know mileage may vary but i would say that this like if this is of interest to you you can certainly you know google and find various experiences podcasts youtube videos of people 
go in depth uh, on this specific topic. Like if, if emotional control is something that you would want, meditation is a tool that can help you there. And we'll, we'll come back to, once I get through this list, we can certainly come back to like how you would, how you would actively then manage those emotions. But the third check-in, so first was the physical state. Do I have any pains in my joints, my knees, my ankles, my neck, um, my shoulders, etc. So I go through that. Then I go through the emotionals, uh, sort of usually, again, uh, tightness in my chest, if, if anything. And then the last thing is just a kind of mental check-in. So for a moment, as I'm starting meditation, I, I proactively kind of go into my thoughts. Like, what am I thinking about? Like, is there something that I'm thinking about? Sometimes it's nothing. Like, oh, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just thinking about starting this meditation. But sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm totally thinking about, like, you know, I've, I've got exactly 10 minutes here. Then I've got to do this and that because I've got this call that I need to jump onto. So I better get, get on with this. I, I feel a sense of, okay, there's, there's a to-do list that's forming in my mind that I need to be aware of and I can't sort of totally let go of it. Uh, other times, of course, there you know could be an argument with your spouse last night. It could be a difficult work, work situation this week that's going on that's kind of popped back into your head. Uh, there's all sorts of, you know, again, it's not all negative. I, I guess I'm going to focus mostly on the negative because that's why you're, you know, if, if everybody was happy every day, I, I suppose you wouldn't need to meditate, but life is not like that. So I, I mostly probably do it for the, the negative valence states of, of um, uh, that life gives us. Uh, but nevertheless, nevertheless, those are the three things. So that's, that's, what I'm trying to do. And from there, again, uh, you, you would start with, you know, step one, just being comfortable by sitting and, and dealing with stuff that comes in because it's not peace and quiet. Usually what you notice with meditation, it's not peace and quiet. It's, it's noisy, restless, uncomfortable. You know, it can be even excruciating sometimes to, to be alone with your, with your thoughts. But once, once I think you establish this routine, and again, this is probably in the one to two month range, right? It's not like one to two times of meditation. It's like one to two months. Um, I think you start to get a sense for, for how you can control those things, okay? So uh, number one was the physical sensation. Mm. So I think Sam Harris's like 50 days of meditation included some good, good techniques or sessions about focusing on pain. And there you have it, guys, the first episode of the Hellzilla Meditation Series. Hope you enjoyed the deep discussions so far. And tune in with us next week again for part two on the awesome meditation discussion with Aki Ranin. Peace.